Welcome to the Leadership Matters Podcast, where we talk matters of leadership because leadership really does matter. Here's your host, Jeremy Albrecht. Hey listeners, welcome to episode 38 of the Leadership Matters Podcast. Welcome to the month of April, and here we go. Fasten your seatbelts because I've got another exciting edition of our Leadership Top 5 segment. My guest today, he currently serves as campus pastor in Maple Ridge, British Columbia. His name is Mark Caldwell. He's been a friend of mine for years. We'll get to that in a second. But uh, Maple Ridge is one of the campuses out of Christian Life Assembly, which uh, is a, a church in Langley, British Columbia. And I met Mark back when I was a college student. And we actually get into a bit of that and uh, some of the things that he actually had me doing as I was serving alongside him working as a summer intern. And uh, we had all kinds of fun that summer. I'll never forget that summer. And we talk a little bit about that. So uh, without going too much into that, let's get right into my conversation, which I really believe you're going to enjoy today with the one and only Mark Caldwell. Thanks for being here, Mark. Absolutely, Jared. I always like hanging out with you. One of my favorite people. Listen to me, EOD. You got a good one. (laughs) Likewise. Well, thank you. And uh, give you guys a little bit of context. I'll let Mark tell you where he is currently um, and what he's been up to the last few years. But uh, we met way back in a small little town, southwestern Ontario, Godrich, Ontario. He was uh, youth pastoring there. I had already left for Bible school. And uh, my parents had kind of been introduced to him already. I think I came back at Thanksgiving, it was. Um, and that's when we kind of met and were introduced. I had seen him around the district, uh, various events and stuff, but never been formally introduced. So uh, parents introduced us. You were, I think you were over at our house, actually, you and your wife, Jenny. And uh, this was pre-kids, um, I believe. Yeah. Anyways, maybe Sam was on the way. I, I can't remember. But anyways, we met and kind of hit it off right from the start. You had asked me to, to think about working alongside you that summer mm-hmm. um, in between my first and second year. And uh, I thought about it and thought, what a great opportunity. And I still look back on that as one of the most uh, formational periods of my life that summer and just working. You had me doing everything from things I had never done before, never wanted to do, never have never done since like lead worship. Uh, but you made me do it all, uh, whether, I, and I appreciate that because I got a taste of everything. So I, this is a real privilege for me to interview t- you today. And this is another segment of our leadership top fives. And so can't wait to get into that. But before we get there, Tell us a little bit just how long you've been pastoring, uh, how long you've been in ministry, various positions you've held over the years, and uh, bring us up to speed to where you are today. Oh, man, I forgot that I made you lead worship. That is amazing. I'm no, so it wasn't amazing. It was horrendous. I'm so happy I made you do that. That's amazing. <laughs> but I also taught you how to catch smallmouth bass. You did. Exactly you did. I didn't even touch the uh, the recreational side of what I learned. Oh, man, that was so much fun. Stopping on every bridge on the way to meetings. That's hey, it. let's book a meeting so we can go fishing on the way. Anyway. So fun. <laughs> Remember when we built the um, the costumes out of chicken fence? Oh, yes. Bob the tomato, Larry. Yeah, that was crazy, too. And we did some stuff. We I did some stuff that summer that I had never done, <laughs> including building giant VeggieTales costumes, which is ridiculous. And I'm Kenny made us. People who don't even know what VeggieTales is now, which is, like, mind-blowing. But not most, but I'm sure most. Um Jared, so good to hang with you. Um, I, before I met you, I spent a few years in Paris, Ontario. That was my first uh, 
job in, in ministry. It was a volunteer position. I got to drive a lift truck four nights a week before I became, so I could have the privilege of building a youth group from scratch. That was fantastic. I think I started there June of 1993, got married in May of 1944 or 1994. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I went backwards in time. Back a few years. Hey. Some have the ability to do that. Well, yeah, exactly. Um, I don't think I really pulled that off. But I did have a great adventure in Paris. I learned philosophy of ministry. I learned a lot about who I was, who God was. Um, I formed some very strong convictions in that season and then moved to Goddard in 1997 when Dwayne moved to Goddard and became the pastor there. And that's where we connected, which was awesome. Uh, we were two years, a little over two years there, uh, and then I got called home. Jenny and I got called back to pastor in Windsor at Parkwood mm. and become student ministries director. It was there for another seven years until uh, we became youth ministry directors in Western Ontario for the next almost 12 years. And so um, I remember when you came into your job and you texted me and was like, can you believe that we're running this province from two sides <laughs> that we're both youth directors i'm like i know it's so weird we used to just be fishing wow. movies anyway yep. so but it, it, it was good it, and i love that season um because i got to work on system systemic issues in terms of like pushing leaders to be better leaders how to help them do intentional discipleship build pathways in ministry and so yeah and then in the summer of 2018 we moved west in a shocking and weird, weird way, which hmm. landed us on staff at Christian Life Assembly and in Langley, specifically my my role, well, my role and Jenny's role are both cross-campus roles, but I oversee the campus in Maple Ridge uh, and help oversee uh, the young staff, so youth, young adult staff in Langley and in all the campuses, actually. And so we've been here for two and a half years now. And I was actually driving to work this morning, and I said to Jen out loud, "I I can't believe we're we're in British Columbia. This someday is so weird. Wow, but God's using us in new and profound ways. In so many ways, Jenny's call to ministry and and who she's becoming has been really apparent in this season. And so, hmm. and plus, it's been it's been interesting for our kids. Uh, three of them, or two of them, are at Bible college now. We'll have three at summit by next September, at least if wow. they stick to the plan. And so, so we have four kids, you know, this, but for the audience, uh, a boy and three girls, uh, um, one is at our, Abby's getting married in 98 days or something, which wow. is tripping. I'm a little tripping out. So, yeah. but, uh, yeah, so here we are and we're walking forward in ministry and yeah, it's crazy. That's good. And time, time flies hard to believe, uh, one of yours is is getting married in the not too distant future. Um, I want to I want to go back. Um, anyone who knows you, Mark, knows that you live, breathe, eat, sleep discipleship, um, which really we all need to. There's no excuse for that. That was a command. It wasn't a suggestion in Scripture. Um, but I, I'm wondering if you can tell me. I know you've got some things you're pretty passionate about when it comes to discipleship. You've got some things. You've already created some things back when you were in the youth ministries director role, but even mm -hmm. now some things you're contemplating now that you're in the local church context and just some, some probably for 
in some respects, maybe some gaps that you've seen since stepping into that role. And you're now trying to fill, talk to us just for a second, before we get into the top fives, I'd love to hear just your, your thoughts on discipleship when it comes to the local church, some mm. things that you're passionate about and just what you're dreaming about these days and, and how that um, can really help the local church in discipling people, because uh, I, I think you'd agree the church overall in, mm. especially in North America, we, we have lost sight of that. Yeah, we have. I totally agree. In fact, I actually believe that when I was still a youth pastor before my youth director days, I would look out in the audience of the church. I remember and think there is so much latent potential. Yeah. And we were doing very intentional discipleship pathways for students. And I'd actually have parents and go ask me, where's this for us? Wow. And I'm like, ah, I don't have margin time or even permission to do it for you. Yeah. Um, but you can talk to your pastor. Um, we label discipleship in my mind in very simplistic terms. So it helps us avoid to do the work of it. Wow. So wow. If you water down the definition of discipleship, then it excuse you from actually doing the behavior of discipleship. And so, hmm. so Jesus investment in discipleship is, is not a Bible study. It's literally walking life on life. And I know that we don't live in ancient Palestine, but I was actually thinking this the other day, and this kind of tripped me out. And I don't know why I landed on this fraction, but I came, this fraction came into my head. And I thought of the number uh, one eighth. If we gave one eighth of our recreation, entertainment, and Netflix time to literally life on life discipleship, most leaders would change the church they pastor wow. in a matter of months, literally in a matter of months. If they actually developed an intentional process, they just give an eighth of it or an eighth of their working hours. It's like, I'm actually now going to give two and a half hours a week in a position of, life on life discipleship and and calling them to a higher standard of depth of character and of engagement so mm. we call discipleship a lot of times in our context you know participation in the study but jesus says actually it's participation in me to obedience and so learning is only piece of it it's actually you know the outcomes of your life that reveal if you're a follower of jesus right and it's just like james says you know faith that works is dead um works reveals that we are a disciple and if you can't point to a serving aspect in your life, you're actually denying the definition of Jesus, what a disciple is. You recreated it for your own convenience, in a sense. And so I've always had this conviction, I'm staring at the audience, that every church has this latent potential. And it's not small, Jer. Like, it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's massive. 20% of your congregants has leadership aptitude. They're born with it. And probably 95% can become incredibly effective followers of Jesus who will serve people who are actually doing something for the kingdom of God. One of my convictions is that if I activate one person into ministry to lead something, they will literally take three or four people with them. So not if I disciple one, I'm literally discipling five or six vicariously through them right. um, because they become a part of growing by through what that person is doing. So when I got here, um, the campus needed a lot of work, like practical work, sure. regenerative work. Um, and so we got to work on all the, the little things, you know, what Sunday look like, what is like, you know, environment around worship, connection, all that stuff. Yep. We spent the first year and a half building that and building team. Over the, over the last almost year now, I think it was May when I started, I started to now really refocus on discipling on a local level. And so I built a new, a new 50-day, what I call launch, and it's like, give me 50 days and I'll move you from sitting in a pew to leading something of your own. Right. Right. And so it has a spiritual component. It has an intellectual component and it has a hands component component. So it's like head, heart, hands. Yep. It's holistic. 
Whereas a lot of our discipleship is only aimed at either head or, or heart. Right. The hand is out of it. So over the 50 days, we did this experiment with in the program unless they agree to do the work and launch a new ministry and out of it we had like oh we're a little bit unstable i hope your recording is okay yeah um, it paused there for a second but i'll uh, i'll edit that stuff up just keep going okay um and so out of it i had all these incredible outcomes like in our church now we now have a, a ministry that weekly gives food to the needy multiple families that didn't exist six months ago right we have Wow. Uh, marriage alpha. We have uh, a life group aimed at small business owners. That's actually trying to encourage small business in our community. We have a bunch of new initiatives that are happening because these people had a little bit of investment from their leader and a little bit of investment of their own in the presence of God. And they were brave enough because of investment to do courageous things. And I think that's a latent potential in every church building on the continent. But if we decide that what we put in front of people is more important than what people are becoming. We will never invest that even one eighth of our time into life on life discipleship. The other thing that really gets me frustrated is a lot of people say as leaders that they are discipling, but their energy of investment is all pointed at the pre-train. Yeah. It's at their staff. It's at their board. They're already fully formed followers of Jesus, but they justify the lack of getting in the mess of people who could explode if they had investment in their life. By saying, well, I've already given this much time to people. And I think it's, I think in some ways it's, it just caters to a already watered down definition of what the subject is. Mm. And so uh, those are some big thoughts in my head around that, but yeah. I'm, I'm working hard to reverse the trend because I, I totally agree with you. We are in a leadership crisis. Yeah. We blame our Bible colleges, but the Bible colleges only can work with what we give them. That's it. That's and it. so if we aren't actually effectively discipling locally, then we can expect a, a poor harvest of leaders. Yeah. And so, oh, so good. It has to come back on us as local church pastors. It just has to. Yeah. And maybe they, maybe we need to help reeducate them. Maybe we need to find a way to encourage people. Um, but yeah, that's where we're at. Well, I, I, first of all, I think you're right. Totally agree. Um, and, and I think, I think COVID, the season we're in right now, is a real opportunity for for churches to really reevaluate and get back to the basics. I mean, it's not rocket yeah. science. It's not anything that's not scriptural. Um, this is this is pretty simple stuff. Yet we've we've strayed so far from mm -hmm. from what we're supposed to be about. Um, and uh, I know you get that. And it's easy to tell. Uh, all I have to do is say discipleship, and and boom. Um, you get going and get passionate. And uh, I love that. I've always loved that about you because that's really what we're all called to do, regardless of position or status or whatever. Jesus said that to everybody. Yeah. Um, so, no, love it. All right. Um, uh, we could spend the rest of the podcast just talking about that and uh, a way forward and different pathways and all of that. And that we'll leave that for another, another podcast. No worries. I, I do want to... Uh, get into uh, some some top five questions because I know as a leader um, I, I know I personally have gleaned so much from rubbing shoulders with you and and just my life uh, continually even to this day you know I still uh, look at you as uh, somebody who's who's helped in my spiritual formation my leadership development all of that you've invested in me in numerous ways ways you probably don't even realize 
Um, so I get to ask you now as the mentor, um, and I'm excited for our listeners to hear just some of what goes into your habits, disciplines um, as a leader um, to get to somebody who produces fruit like you do. And uh, I'm super excited about that. So let's start with you personally, maybe a personal habit, a discipline. This is question number one, but but what's kind of been most effective for you, just a personal discipline that, that kind of yields the most results for you. And obviously we're, you know, uh, most of the people I've, I've interviewed on here, um, we'll just assume that, you know, Bible reading, devotion, uh, that spiritual discipline is a given, even though mm-hmm. I know it's not uh, as much as it should be <laughs> for some leaders, but let's just assume that's a given. So outside of that, tell us, um, one that's super significant for you, it ha- kind of has been, or maybe it's a new one you've picked up recently, but kind of on the more personal um, idea of, of one that's kind of yielded in, in your life and, and leadership a, a huge result. Yeah, and actually, you know, yeah, the assumption about prayer is a fun one, uh, mm-hmm. but there isn't, there is a specific discipline within my prayer life that has helped yeah. me. And it is actually the habit of repentance. Mm. And this is kind of weird, but one of my mentors, he prayed this prayer with me when we were doing a road trip. Like, remember the road trip we, we did, right? Well, I had those in my own life, which is probably yeah. why I repeated them with, a, yeah. with one guy. And he had this grandfather who was like a spiritual mentor to him. And he, he taught them this prayer. He says, every day, Mark, I remind myself, if not for the grace of Jesus, I'm going to hell. But because God intervened in my life and I was asking him, like, you know, why, why do you pray that prayer? And he just says, like, it puts me in a position of, of like submission for God. Right. And so I actually incorporated that repentance piece. I, 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 uh, I, I know this about me. The most dangerous threat to my life as a leader is actually me. I, I see myself in moments of war where I'm feeling insecure looking for approval, um, the arrogance will pop up in my spirit and I'll portray this like false humility or, or straight arrogance. And I'll go looking for approval. I'll go looking for a, a place to continually, uh, you know, find some acceptance. And this is, this right. is a product of me as a young man. This is a product of brokenness and, and, yep. and some rejection and abandonment that comes way back to that was a six year old. And I see that I still fight it, not nearly what I, what I did, but I, I remember just like some of the most profound lessons in ministry have come in this moment of repentance where I'm actually called to go back and reset for humility, called to go back and push back a part of my life. Hmm. This transition for us to, to British Columbia, it's probably weirdly been one of the hardest seasons of my life. Um, I can celebrate so profoundly how much I sacrifice and I'm like, but then compared to like what Jesus embraced, it's, it's hilarious. But a lot of times I get good at sacrificing or, or celebrating my own sacrifice. Right. And, and I think we all do. And so I have to go back to this position of like, yeah, what have you really given? I think, I think I've, I've been shown again and again over the course of my life that too often my identity is attached to my performance, who I am. Hmm. And so I go back to this position of humility of repentance and saying, God, I, I'm sorry for the moments where fear has pushed my buttons, where I have spoken too much and listened too little, where I have tried to get people to notice me when I need to just relax and be in your presence 
And so I see that war. And so I do this repentance. And sometimes I do it in the woods when I'm walking with God. And sometimes I do it in the car. But I try to make it part of my life because I actually believe that I am the biggest danger to my life. Hmm. And so, and I come to terms with that okay. I, I, I look back at moments where I wish I had more of a grasp on that, but I know I need it. I know I need it. Yeah. And so it literally is embedded in prayer. When I remember to repent, it's a good reset for me, hmm. you know? Oh, for sure. So, I think, uh, I think personally myself too, it's something I've recently been challenged on just the whole confession piece. I, I think, hmm. uh, you know, Sometimes when you've grown up in the church, you've become so used to and you begin to take things for granted in our salvation and the grace that's extended to us, as you just mentioned. And I think for me, that reset is that confession, repentance, like daily. I've been starting to do that daily. Like mm -hmm. I'm actually thinking of, of trying to think of something specific the day before that uh, where I missed the mark and, right. and actually confessing that. And it's just like you just everything you just said, it's like a, that reset. But I'm, I'm done without the grace of God. I am like I'm finished, mm -hmm. um, and I need it so desperately. And 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 the word says, as we know, the spiritual leaders that are listening, uh, you know, if you confess, uh, He's faithful and just to forgive us, right? And uh, but there's that we don't have to talk about that a whole lot um, today, anyways. So um, that's, that's very reassuring. And just uh, thank you for your transparency on that. That's huge. Absolutely. I mean, I think if I lose vulnerability and authenticity, I lose my way. Hmm. And I think for those who are listening, who are afraid of admitting brokenness, they've already lost. Like yeah. it's, it's just reality is there's only one perfect leader and I'm not it. You know, wow. I wow. take my cue, I take my cue from him to try to attain to his example, but I wrestle every day with the fact that I fall short. And, and it's so funny, I was actually, you said the term missing the mark, and I, I know it's kind of like a popular way to talk about sin, and I'm, and I was meditating on that, I'm like, missing the mark? Missing a mark assumes that I'm actually setting that as a target. When I sin, I actually neglect the target completely. It's not about missing the mark. I'm not even aiming for the mark when I'm sinning. I'm choosing to aim at something else completely. Right. And I get what people are saying. It seems a little bit easier of a term than, than sinning, but I'm like, now in moments that I'm ashamed of, I'm actually not aiming for holiness. Right, I'm aiming right. for self-serving, yeah. you know? And so I'm like, God help me to re-aim. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good perspective. Um, we'll move down to, uh, into family. And so out of the, I mean, this is still personal, uh, of course, but marriage relationships. Mm -hmm. um, I always love asking, uh, leaders, especially in this particular piece, because you know, as well as I do, I mean, uh, leaders are, we're hearing stories all the time of leaders that are falling, um, you know, moral failures, whatever the case may be. Um, so first of all, tell us how long you've been married. You mentioned your wife, Jenny, already. And, mm -hmm. uh, and then tell us, uh, because there's so many leaders listening that some of them newer than others, but are married in a serious relationship. Tell us, uh, just one of your pieces of advice, practical advice, maybe it's been given to you over the years and it's helped you guys in your marriage, but in regards to building a healthy marriage relationship, what's one piece of advice you'd give to another leader um, who's listening today? Sweet. So Jenny and I, I think we'll, I know we'll be married 27 <laughs> years in this coming May. <laughs> um, and 
It's been a great adventure. I, I think what's been easy with Jenny is naturally she's just uh, loyal, a deep sense of loyalty and care. Like she takes good care of us as people. And don't get me wrong, we both bring nuances of personality that drive each other sure. nuts, but I think that's sure. real. Yeah. Um, the most significant thing, I was afraid of marriage because I come from a broken home. Right. I was like afraid of being a terrible husband and bad father. And maybe that was good in a way that it helped me, you know, look for answers and, and, and hope that I could actually do it. Right. Um, I just was so convinced that I didn't have a great model that I was going to be a crappy one. So yeah. like a husband or a father. And so, but I remember somebody talking about, you know, the nature of love and commitment. And they talked about how love is like an act of the will, which is good preaching. My motive is to love her as selfishly I can, no matter what. That, that is the driving motive. It isn't what she brings to the table. It's about me. And I sometimes I think when we don't make the will decision, then we focus too much on what they bring to us. Mm. And so it's all about, it's all, yeah. it, it turns the motive in, in the wrong direction. So if my motive, the driving force of me as a husband, as a father is, what am I bringing um, to you? Like, how am I serving you? That will question, I think, is the anchor that, that I, that's really helped me being a devoted husband and father to the best of my ability, obviously a flawed one. But, um, sure. So I, I wake daily, just that's another day that I'm choosing to love my wife. Oh, that's good. The whole commitment piece and so much of our culture and society tells us, you know, and, and stresses the compatibility factor so much, but they miss that, uh, you know, biblical uh, principle of commitment, right? First and foremost. Yeah, there's something to be said about compatibility, sure. Um, but even before that, long before that, it's about the commitment piece, right? I'm choose, love's, as we know, love is a choice. It's not a feeling. Um, you know what's so, funny about c- compatibility? We did a test when we were engaged. Yeah. And apparently our personalities are like the worst mix. Okay. <laughs> and here you are 27 years later. Yeah, right? exactly. And, wow. you know, working hard to serve one another. I don't know if you've seen any of Jenny's kids ministry content online, but I wear a lot of costumes. Yeah, you do. Speaking of which, let's, let's just go there for a second. I had no idea until you put on the wig and the costume that you resembled Will <laughs> Farrow so much. I don't know if anyone else is, I'm sure they have, but it is like, it's scary. Um, scary, I think yeah. you just posted another picture today with, uh, with Abby. Uh, Abby there for her birthday. And I was like, Oh my goodness. He like, I, you guys could like, that's your doppelganger or something. I, I don't know what the cool kids call that these days, but it's, it's crazy. I wouldn't know either. Cause I'm not a cool kid. I'm <laughs> an old man in a wig that looks like buddy. Yes. <laughs> uh, you guys, you guys have lots of fun and you've always modeled that willing to, uh, you know, to serve and just even two people in ministry. You've just been so many times where you guys both employed in ministry full time. And uh, I've always watched as you have served, you've never thought, you know, because of status or position that you're above or she, you guys just, you have this way of working that out. And sure, there's tension, there's nuances and personalities, all of that. But I, I think it goes back to that principle you've always had in mind since asking her to marry you that you have willed to say no today i'm getting up i'm choosing to love my wife and mm-hmm. uh, that's so important uh mm-hmm. let's t- let's take it a step further when it comes to family and i don't always ask this but uh, i'd love for our listeners to again just glean from your experience you've got four kids you said and uh some of them adults now and moving towards you know starting their own families 
And yeah. so you've raised for, and I know it's not completely done yet and you're never done as a parent. However, you've been able, you know, and you mentioned it a few moments ago about three of them going to Bible college and um, that's a, that's a big deal. Um, and, and I know you enough to know that you didn't force any one of them. You would want what God yeah. wants for them more than, yeah. you know, just trying to get them what dad did or what mom did. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know enough about ministry. <laughs> Most times it's people in ministry that don't want their kids to touch ministry, um, right. if anything at all. So I know you haven't forced them that way. They've made those decisions on their own. Yet you have four um, God-fearing um, young adults in your home. So let me just ask you this wide open blankets question, but how'd you do it? Like, cause we just want to know, I, I got three kids, two teenagers now a junior high and I'm going, man, I was a youth pastor for so many years. I thought I'd have an edge, but it's different when it's your own kids. It just is. Wow. And so, uh, I'm, I'm wanting to learn from you. So talk to us for a moment. Like what's the best piece of advice you could give to raise some, some kids who love Jesus and love the church? Mm. Well, that's a great question. I think, I think Jenny needs tons of credit here. Um, I think, uh, we both partnered to actually include them in what we did. Right. Um, and so often, like, I remember, like, even coming to speak a youth retreat for you or something, I always brought somebody, right? Yep, yep. And so those are great opportunities afforded to us. Um, we we did intentional discipleship pieces, too. Like, you know, some of the programs that I instituted for youth ministry, I remember driving down the highway, and I, I was, like, saying to Jenny, I'm like, I, I want somebody to disciple my kids like I discipled theirs. You know, I want that favor returned to me. And she's like, what are you talking about? You're, your, you're the father. I'm like, wow. and so she's like, She's like, nope. She's like, do for them what you did for so many people. I'm like, I want somebody to do for me what I did for like hundreds of kids. And she's like, do for your kids. So we set them on a six month discipleship pathway, a missions trip to New York City. We wow. took them on adventures. They've all been overseas with me to do like leadership conferences. And, um, you know, I took them on a boatload of experiences for youth director, all of it. And we just had tried to keep them there. Um, they are the most voluntold group of people. Um, but because <laughs> Jenny is their mom, but like, sure. but like there's been good and, and, and grace, but we sat in our room and our, our front room and we had the most awkward family prayer meetings during discipleship meetings. We, we did adventures together. And I think it's a combination too. Like I can't, and this isn't a secret and it isn't, it's just real. If you can be the same person, at home as you are at the pulpit. Like if yeah. you can be the same person yeah. at church at home, like if there's an authenticity on both sides, your kids actually read it. Come on. Um, and so I, I tried to carry that home. And so, I mean, I think there's tons of grace of Jesus in the whole process. I think there's lots of intentionality in terms of personal ownership of discipleship. And I think there's lots of moments we point to including them along the journey. Hmm. Um, I hope that none of them pursue ministry unless they know God has called them to it. Um, I'm, I'm happy that I'm convinced that some of them belong in ministry. Like I'm convinced of it. Um, but I, I won't even tell them that out loud because we all know that, you know, those of us who are in the zone crisis, right? Yeah. And so I'm, you know, you know, it's, it's intentionality, it's presence, it's favor. It's, it's Jesus. Yeah. I mean, that's good. It's good. But we did some, yeah, we did do some really intentional things to actually disciple our kids. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and I know that firsthand. I know some of the stuff that, I mean, you've given out freely. You've given me some of that stuff, which I've used 
with our family too, which we so appreciate. Uh, any on that, before we move on to the next question, I, I want to hit this for a second. Cause I mean, you've been in ministry pretty much your whole adult life, mm-hmm. especially since having kids anyways. And yeah. so with that comes a pressure PKs. I mean, we joke about it. Um, we, but there is a pressure. There is a certain amount of pressure, not always from us, as the leader, but from people in the church, people in the congregation, other people, um, mm-hmm. they sometimes put pressure. Anything you would say to um, to help leaders out there who know there's this undue, unnecessary pressure on their kids, and 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 maybe you face that in your own life, and you've seen it play out, and you're like, well, this is what I did when that happened. I made sure, like anything at all that comes to mind that would just help. Uh, maybe another parent who's just seeing that pressure, maybe not necessarily coming from them, but again, from other people and how to guard their kids from that. Well, I think it's going to be really hard to protect them from all the expectations of people around them. But I think what needs to happen is that you have a safe place to process them with your kids. Right. And so it's like, there needs to be moments, you know, in a minister's family where you sit down and go, Hey, you know, how are you feeling about life in church? How are you feeling about the expectation of being a pastor kid. How, how are you feeling? Do you feel it? And we've had poignant discussions over the years, like what do you experience? What do you feel? And then we talk about what's real and what's not and what's worth their time and what's worth their care and what's not. Hmm. I thank God it's not 20 years ago. It was more acute 20 years ago. Right. Um, And so all that stuff has been, has diminished a bit, but it's still real. And, and sometimes I think I'm blind to what they feel. And so I need to ask, like, sometimes I assume because I have some experience being in ministry that it is really creating the safe place. And I, and for them to, to, to communicate feelings, I, I can literally remember moments of just like processing specific things that they encountered in church or people and the pain of it, the tears behind it. Um, but they also reaped like crazy good benefits too, right? Yeah. Oh, totally. They, and so, so we point them back to some of the really positive things. And yeah. so, yeah, I thank God because I don't, I don't know. I know this isn't everybody's experience in ministry, but I feel like overall our kids are proud of who their parents are. Hmm. Um, it's good. It's good. Maybe it's because they felt included. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sure that had tons to do with it. That's so good. I, I think that's, that's helpful for, for sure. And definitely speaks to, uh, to leaders who are listening today. Um, let's move down to mission for a second, if we can, the, um, I know your heart, I know you're pretty intentional guy, pretty intentional leader. Um, one of the things, the observations I've made, especially in this position of leadership, as I look at, at the church as a whole, kind of another level, um, 30,000 foot level, we can be so good as leaders at leading other people to do things that we're not doing ourselves. Yeah. And uh, sometimes we need a real heart check there. So what do you do? And uh, this may have changed over the years as positions have changed. But what do you do um, to remain intentional about living on mission yourself to be outward focused? I'm not talking about your church. I'm not talking about, you know, discipling other people to do something. I'm talking about you specifically as what do you do intentionally? Like, where are you involved in the community or, or how are you intentional about current, you know, staying in current issues and, and staying um, engaged with people who don't know Jesus yet? So, uh, um, you know, it, it is a conviction. Um, we, we came here and there's an emphasis on life groups in 
uh, CLA. Um, and there's, they're supposed to, the, the goal is to have them initially targeted, like right. actually initial focus. Okay. So we decided, we noticed that there was like three or four families within walking distance of our house. So we just started like two years ago, a, a neighborhood life group. It's not a life group on special interest. It's not a life group on, you know, uh, bikers for Jesus. It's, it's actually our neighborhood. Okay. And so the first thing we did when we got our neighbors together who were in the church is like, we're making a list. Right. of people we know already and we didn't know anybody because we just got there sure we knew a couple of people we met some introductions and neighbors and we just made a list wow. of people we were going to start praying for hmm. and have conversations and so we as a group of families we started praying for people in our neighborhood they're all within walking distance yeah so it's actually really cool and then um and then a couple of weeks into it like we started to introduce the idea, we're going to have a couple of things that we do as a light group that are not spiritually threatening, but just get neighbors to come. Ah, love it. Love it. So we had, we had a Christmas gathering for neighbors. The first one, I think we had five or six people who we, none of us, like one person in the group would know, and they just come in. It was just sure. like super chill yep. game. And then the next one we had a Valentine's one, which we had, I think, Oh, maybe 15 people. It was actually wow. like extra people. So it was like the 12 of us and then like 15 people. So we started building these connections. And then um, we all have these names that are specifically ours. Right. And we've been praying for them. So there are two people next door to us now that are single. One lives in half the house upstairs. One lives below. Right. And we've been having amazing conversations with them. The, the one, the lady who lives on her own, she actually now watches us online. And she's saying, as soon as you go back live, I'm going to sit with you in church. Wow. And so, so it's actually really cool. And this is pretty it's recent. So, cool. so COVID has hurt us a bit with the capacity to do neighborhood stuff. Obviously, you can't have anybody at home. Sure. But we're, we're, you know, we'll go back to the focus. Um, we also, like, for me, when, when I think about Ephesians 4 and the call to be a pastor, I'm supposed to actually accelerate what's on, on the local church to actually do what they're they're supposed right. to do for the kingdom. Right. Right. Um, and so that goes back to me giving, you know, a one eighth of my time to life on like discipleship. So they actually create ministry themselves. And so I can't get away from that. And so now what we're talking about is retraining life groups. So life groups must have a missional capacity like ours does. Right. And so, and so what I'm dreaming now is a new pathway of like having a group of leaders who, who facilitate life group. And one of their, one of them, their job is specifically to determine what they're going to do on mission for God. Because hmm. I don't want one neighborhood life group. I want a bunch. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? And I can now speak to it because we have one. We have a neighborhood who's focused on neighbors. And we do, you know, you know how you do your massive Halloween thing. We got that going. Um, we we are giving out. We do. Jenny does all kinds of creative stuff for kids ministry. And we make sure we get them in our neighbor's hands. And so sure. it was like a massive advent calendar that families did together. There was a camp in a box like she just it's on and on and so it's awesome and so all these things we're like incorporating into our little vortex and yeah. into the greater community itself and then like if the church is hosting like we did our first annual serve maple ridge day and i'm like i'm out there picking up garbage with the rest yeah of them. yeah I mean? oh, because awesome. like you can't i can't ask my people to do what i won't do you know yeah and so we're trying to be as visible in terms of, of, of what we preach and, and deliver w with what we do in our lives. So 
the neighborhood thing is is good. I'm I'm hoping you know in a year's time we have more and more stories. But yeah. God is starting to move. He's moving some of our other life group people. One and they're making connection with neighbors and and yeah, we're we're, we're gonna see God move more. That's awesome. Well, and it, it is contagious, and it, it really does pave the way. Uh, that's what we've seen in our own lives. The more you begin to share those stories, not in a boastful, arrogant way, but um, no. we, we whatever whatever gets celebrated gets duplicated, right? Yep. That's how you change culture. And and so the more right. the more we have our own personal stories that we can share with other people we're discipling, the more they're going to do it. That's what we've always seen in our entire leadership lives. Um, as, as we've tried to, to do that personally, it just, it begins to take off in your, whoever you're leading, whether it's students, whether it's adults, kids, um, they get excited about, Hey, I can do that. That's pretty simple. Like I could do that. Um, yeah. you it literally pave the way. Yeah. It's good. I mean, for us, it literally started with writing it down a bunch of people's names. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and the stories will keep coming as long as we keep intentionally yeah. trying to reach. It's surprising how many leaders actually don't know their neighbors' names, though. And I think that's the great place to start. I mean, one of the luxuries I have, the privileges I have, is sitting on the credential committee for our... for our fellowship uh, when people come in for credentials. And I love asking the questions nobody else is asking in the room. And that's just me. I've always loved doing that. So I ask the, the questions that make you sweat a little bit. So a person comes in for credentials and I say, talk to me about five people you know that are in your phone, your contacts list that don't know Jesus yet. Tell me who your neighbors are. Because if mm-hmm. we're not modeling this, if we're not living this out, then nobody in our congregations, our groups are going to. We right. like, It's got to start with us. So I love that you guys did that. And and it wasn't something you did after you got to know the people. You know, you did it right away. Like you didn't know anybody, yet this was a priority. This is a passion. It's a part of your life. So, so yeah, good. and I'm hoping, it, and I'm hoping like you, I'm hoping the vocabulary, the stories, um, you know, saying being the church is more than a slogan and then has to be modeled. And so, uh, yeah, it's good. So. All right. Let's, speaking of ministry, let's, let's talk about ministry for a second. We hear the, the verbiage all the time. Ministry is a marathon, not a sprint. And uh, we can talk about charisma and competency and how that'll get you places, but we both know, and we've had conversations before that will definitely not keep you there. It's right. the character stuff. And so with this in mind, talk to us for a moment, a guardrail, boundary, whatever you want to call it. We've got all kinds of different names for them nowadays. Um, talk to us about something that's in place um, that's helped keep you in ministry to this point. And by keep you there, I mean the character stuff. Uh, so I'm not so much talking about the personal habits or disciplines in your life that we talked about in question number one. This is more the the guardrails that you've set up. So just give us one that's been... You know, as you look back over your life, if you didn't have this in place, I mean, who knows where you'd be today? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I think the one anchor that kept me from going off the rails multiple times uh, is anchored to a specific conviction. Yeah. And, and the conviction was, I'm not actually in this for me. I'm actually supposed to cause people to walk towards transformation. Mm-hmm. And so... It's literally not what I put in front of people. It's got to be what people are are becoming. And so I actually think that conviction is tied to motive. If my motive is the transformation of people's lives instead of like who I'm becoming, how I'm accelerating in ministry, it's revealed not by my mouth, but what I major on. Right. So I always had this conviction about what God was asking me to build. And I think it's, 
because I was raised in a mainline environment with no discipleship. I was hungry for investment, couldn't find it. Hmm. I floundered for, you know, the first 18 years of my life spiritually until, you know, I found somebody to invest in my life. And so when I came into youth ministry, I, I was convinced that I wasn't called to babysit Christians. I was actually called to accelerate their walk with Jesus. And so when I think about motive today, and I think about a lack of resiliency in a lot of leaders, um, we lose too many, right? Like they quit yeah. too early. They, yeah. they feel unprepared. And I think the lack of resilience actually tied to a skewed motive. And the story yeah. I think that I go to in my brain, and I just taught a bunch of Bible college students this was when James and John come and ask for the best seats. Hey, mom comes and say, hey, can my boys have the best seats in heaven, right? So they ask right. this question, and it actually reveals a motive that ministry is somehow about platform, position, accolades, comfort. But resiliency and longevity will always be at risk if your motive is askew. Uh, so if you think success is going to keep you, it won't. So then he says to them, Oh, well, that's a nice question, right? Jesus is like, you know, um, can you drink the cup that I'm about to drink? Which I think is a resiliency question that's designed to reveal their motive. Hmm. And of course, they're like, yeah, whatever you want from me. Right. And so I'm like, okay. In a week or so, they're going to totally walk away on him. Right. They're going to abandon him at the cross. Like, it's just... You know, well, John will be in the background with the women somewhere, but like the rest of them run scared. So yeah. I was like, yeah. And we're so easy to say, I'll take this, I'll take this journey in ministry with you. Yeah, Jesus, whatever you ask. But then I feel like, really? Because will you really move outside the GTA? Will you really go to an obscure place and embrace poverty for a season to invest in a generation of people? Hmm. Our motive is actually revealed every day when we make decisions about what we won't do and what we will do, where we won't go, what we yeah. won't, where we will go. Um, if you need to be in a town that has an espresso machine, like that's, yeah. you won't go somewhere without a Starbucks. That's actually a motive revealing. And you can tell me all to your blue in the face that, Oh, I'll go wherever you send and embrace whatever life you ask of me. Wow. And I'm like, I think you need to check yourself because I think a lot of people do not do the marathon because they don't examine the true motive why they're in ministry. They actually think they'll, they'll make the major prayer to Jesus, whatever you ask, whatever you ask it, but it's not really true. If you have a conversation with them, there's all these conditions talked to them that they attach to serving ministry. You know, mm -hmm. that's why they don't, a lot of leaders don't make it beyond five years in ministry. They bail when it gets incredibly hard. They walk away when somebody confronts the lack of absence of character in their life. They blame it too on the lack of vision in a senior leader or a difficult church or a difficult place. Um, and so for me, like if I actually believe, bring it back, sorry, bring it full circle, is this conviction I had early and I wasn't perfect with it, that I'm actually supposed to invest in people for what they're going to become, not what I'm going to become, is the thing that's sustaining mm. and formed the way I did ministry. And so that conviction is why I'm reinventing discipleship pathways right now. Because mm. I could just do Western church as a lead pastor. I could just do it the way everybody else is doing it. Yep. I can major on what a Sunday morning looks like. Yep. I could create, I could ask people to do things on my behalf. I could, I could go after presentation. I could obsess there. But... <laughs> There's a conviction in me that says, actually, Mark, you can't. 
because in the in your heart of hearts you know that's why you that's not why ministry exists my my ministry exists on the for the benefit of other people not for myself and so um i worry that i worry that we don't second guess our motives enough hmm. like that's what that's what worries me so so how do you do that like tangibly on a daily monthly weekly whatever it looks like like how do you go about making sure your motives are right well you know i have to ask questions like who am i avoiding Hmm. what am i avoiding right and i need to pay attention to self-talk like people think it's it's no big deal that well you know i don't think i'll ever move to Sudbury. i don't think god would ever call me there and i'm like he may never and it's true, you might be a terrible fit in Sudbury. But is it more like, is the real is the real statement in your head, I don't think God will call me there? Or is the real statement, no, nah, I'd never go. Right, right. Never go. God couldn't possibly be in that. And I'm yeah. like, really? Because Jesus said, can you drink the cup I'm drinking? And I'm about to get six inch nails stuck in my hands and feet. And wow. so it's easy to say that you'll do whatever Jesus asks you to, but in a society that's driven by comparison, comfort, and Instagram reality that heightens, this is what real ministry looks like. It's really hard to say no to yourself. Wow. That's good. So good. Um, thank you. Uh, I'm, I'm learning as, as we go here and uh, just benefiting from this conversation greatly. And we're coming to a close. I, I, final question when it comes to our leadership top fives, and it's one to do with maturing. And I mean, mm. this probably flows into what you were just talking about a little bit too, but knowing that leaders are learners um, and that we never fully arrive, uh, I'm wondering about you and your your habits maybe that, that um, keep you sharp, keep you growing. Um, so maybe it's a book, podcast, webinar, conference, training, oh, I don't know, but something you've participated in intentionally over the past year um, that you've just you've learned so much from. And maybe it's just a mentoring call with another leader. I, I don't know. But it, it's something that you intentionally do this. You've intentionally done this over the past year. So something recent um, that somebody listening might go, oh, I need to incorporate that in my life because leaders are learners and I want to keep learning. I don't want to stunt my growth. Yeah. Um, I have really good seasons of learning and then I have really good seasons of just being busy and not learning much. The one thing that I have been really disciplined about is calling friends. And so Mm. if somebody pops in my head, I just love the connection. I love to hear what's going on in their life. Um, Almost always the sound of their voice and whatever they're into is a trigger for me Um, to keep to keep grinding in a certain direction or to return to something. I have been listening to Canadian church leaders podcast. I have been listening. I listened to all of NT Wright, ask NT Wright anything just for fun last year. Church. I've read a few books on prayer and culture change lately. Um, I write, I grow almost always most effectively when I'm in conversation with somebody or I actually am in study. Hmm. So I love to write. It's like really high on my Berkman. Yep. I think, I think it's number one, actually. Um, and so when I'm crafting stuff, I love doing that. And then, you know, I find life on life is just like so good. So, so I'm, I'm really grateful for all the anchors I have. There are people in a lot of places I can call and just like, hey, tell me what the heck you're doing. <laughs> and it, it grounds me and I need it. And I, and I think, you know, it's mutually 
beneficial too. I think people just love to hear your voice as well. And you're thinking about me, praying for me. Yeah. And so I have been reading lately. I have been listening to podcasts. Um, oh, that's good. I learn so much when I'm just really yep. from yep. this Oh, it's a, there's a principle there, right? It, the teacher learns the most, which is so true. I found that so true in my own life. Right. Um, and uh, so it's, I don't think it's any coincidence that when you're in study, in prep mode, in, you know, writing mode, whatever, that you're actually doing your best learning while you're doing that too. Um, that's so good. All right. We're going to, we're going to move on. We, we're going to cap this off. So I'm going to end with just a couple quicker, more light, uh, fun questions. Uh, just to get to know you a little better for our listeners as well. So it comes to, to mentoring. Um, this is a mentoring question, but more so for you personally. So if you could go back and do it all over again, 20-year-old Mark Caldwell, 25-year-old Mark Caldwell, what would you tell yourself uh, based upon your experience and what you know now? Well, the 25-year-old specifically, I was like, just relax, bro. Just relax. <laughs> okay. It's going to be okay. But the other thing I would say, don't apologize. Don't apologize for taking risk. Don't apologize for putting yourself out there. Just be obedient. There's a couple of things that I didn't do with my life, Jay, that I, I actually regret. And sometimes it was the cause of a voice that's saying, no, it's not that necessary. I actually delayed putting this cur- curriculum in people's hands because somebody suggested that, oh, there's lots of curriculum. They don't need your stuff. Mm. And, I, and I actually think I was disobeying God. And so... It was like a decade behind where it probably should have been. Um, it's not that it's special. The only reason I did it was to accelerate the growth of the youth pastors I was serving at the time, right? <laughs> I'm yeah. like, yeah. get to a point that took me years to get to. Because I was, and so I'd say, you know, relax, bro, and don't apologize for doing what God asked you to do. That's good. Tell us what Mark Colwell does for fun. I know a bit about this. And if anyone follows you online, they, they probably know some of this. But for anybody new who's not familiar with you, what do you do for fun? Uh, well, I moved to BC, so I go outside a lot. I mean, oh. I climbed a massive mountain. Yeah, you do. And I screamed when I got to the top of it. It was so <laughs> fun. It was 12 kilometers one way and about 1,700 meters of vertical gain. Wow. And and then a 360 view of like the entire Fraser Valley and all the mountains around you. And I just screamed. It was like hilarious. And it doesn't sound like fun because it, it hurt. Like I think it was five hours up and then the same back. And, wow. but it was, it is fun. I like being out there. I like being out there with Jenny because she enjoys it too. Like she just yep. like goes, oh, this is so pretty. And so yep. that's good. I love a good coffee, a good meal. I love to play golf with my, my kid, Sam and my boys. Um, and I like, I just like family adventure. I, we, I think if, I think one thing, you know, we go back to the conversation about mentoring your kids, like in, just creating adventure for them has, has given me unbelievable amounts of mileage. Yeah. 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 And so I like being out there and obviously, you know, I like to fish. I like to, yeah, I, I, I'm stiffening up. So sports isn't as big, like the ones that don't hurt you now are more. Sure. Sure. Oh, that's good. I run so I don't get too too fat. So, I mean, <laughs> but running is getting harder. I feel like I'm going to yeah. get injured every time I do it now. <laughs> well, I definitely know you to be a person of adventure. I know you love adventure. And one thing that I remember uh, in the adventures I've been on with you is that 
you definitely don't need a GPS or a map when you're with you because you have this crazy sense of direction. You always know where you are. Um, and it, it always boggled my mind. We could be anywhere. You know, I feel like we're lost or we're somewhere and no, you, we got to go this way. You just, you always know you don't need a map, don't need GPS. And it might even be an area where you're not, I mean, I remember as, as district youth directors being downtown Toronto and we get out of the subway and everyone's like, okay, which way do we need? And you're just, you're already gone. And, and uh, you're already there. And it's like, oh, of course, Caldwell knows where we're going. Um, he's got that ingrained sense of direction. So it's one thing I, I definitely uh, take away spending time with you. Okay. Any last bit of advice, uh, leadership nugget, truth you want to say to listeners today? And we've got all sorts of listeners here today. So, uh, you know, we've got spiritual leaders, church leaders, but we've also got some business leaders, maybe with no spiritual background, but anything you'd say leadership wise to, to leaders today before we sign off. Oh man. I just think, uh, there are quality people who have been there before where you are, and it's never a terrible thing to humble yourself and, and get help. Um, stop trying to recreate the wheel, actually pay attention to people who are rolling down the highway. That would be that would be something that I always try to talk young leaders into doing. I'm like, why are you busy trying to prove to the world that you're competent when people are actually miles ahead of you? Just copy them until you figure out who you are. Yeah. Just and get alongside them and ask them questions. I mean, if there is nothing new under the sun, we just all pretend it is. We all think it's yeah. new with us. I'm like, it's not new. And so just get near good people and run with it. Some good so. advice right there. All right. Where can people find you if they want to follow Mark Colwell and your adventures, which you post a lot about your adventures, where can they find you online? They want to follow well, your story. We, I mean, on Instagram and Facebook, but um, although I'm not really dedicated to Facebook, it's really bothering me right now. And then I'm, I'm actually retooling a website because I'm importing or exporting the, our adult deception leadership development eventually. And it's in process it's going to be called launchleaders.ca. So probably by the time this goes out, it'll be up. Awesome. Um, and, and we're going to start offering courses for other churches. So actually, I have three right now in a pilot project that are actually taking about 25 burgeoning leaders through a course that will launch in a ministry. Awesome. Can't wait so, to yeah. see it. It'll be fun. Well, thank you, Mark. Thanks so much for doing this. I know you're a busy guy, busy leader. I just appreciate the investment in leaders across Canada. We're tracking people listening all over the place. But aside from that, I thank you personally for the investment you've made in me and continue to make to this day. Love you. Appreciate you. And thanks for doing this for us. Thanks, my friend. Always awesome. This is the discussion I've been looking forward to for days. And um, God bless you, my friend. I'm so proud of who you are and what you're pushing into and who you're pushing people to be. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm a fan. So much depth and gold in that conversation with Mark Caldwell. What a guy. Hey, if you know a leader who would greatly benefit by listening to this particular episode or any episode here on the Leadership Matters podcast, why don't you go ahead and share on your social media or maybe even just send them this particular episode direct to their email inbox or through a text message. You can uh, use the share options on Spotify or Apple or uh, wherever you get your podcast. And hey, if you have two minutes and you're able to write a review on any of the podcast platforms, that would just help us so much or just like, uh, subscribe. It all helps spread the word of the Leadership Matters podcast because our mission really is to help develop healthy leaders as we discuss various 
different matters of leadership. Why? Because your leadership really does matter. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Leadership Matters Podcast. If you've enjoyed the podcast, why don't you take a moment and subscribe on iTunes to ensure you never miss another episode. Until next time, remember your leadership matters.